All right, guys, I'd like to welcome my good friend to the Rebel Capitalist Show, Simon Black himself from SovereignMan.com. Simon, thanks for coming on, buddy. Good to see you. Thanks, buddy. Good to see you, too. <laughs> Here we are by by sheer happenstance. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Yeah. What, so, what people don't know is that you and I have been smoking and joking for the last 15 minutes, uh, cracking, <laughs> jo- cracking jokes and, and reminiscing. So we're all warmed up now. Yeah, there you I go. Feel like I, I, I feel like like I need a little like vasito of tequila right here in front of me. I would sort of set the mood just right, but it's a little too early in the morning. Yeah, well, we were also talking about RFK and yeah. kind of the, the traction he's getting and being canceled and whatnot. And uh, what what are your thoughts there? Because some of the things, I, I like the fact that he's addressing some serious topics, even if I, I don't agree with his conclusion or with his quote-unquote solution. But what are your thoughts there? I, you know, it's just interesting that um, it, it, the fact that he's out there, like we were talking about earlier, I mean, the fact that he's out there does show that I think that censorship has really been dialed back the fact that he's able to sort of be out there and, and be in a mainstream and, and get the traction that he's gotten does show that the message of hey maybe we weren't actually told the whole truth right. during the pandemic you know that people are really starting to get that that's not a controversial assertion to make anymore and that's you know that's the thing throughout history really is that given enough time the truth always comes out and uh, you know, people people start to figure that stuff out for themselves. Um, it, it's interesting to me, though, that there's still obviously very strong faction that's trying to still cancel him and get him canceled. And the part that was very interesting is, you know, they're holding a censorship hearing on Capitol Hill to talk about who is who is being censored and how the censorship went down. And so, of course, they invited RFK. And then there's a whole bunch of people trying to censor the censorship hearing, which in and of itself is absolutely hilarious. I think as a you know as a candidate great it's for me the more the merrier and it's and i for me like i i like the idea i I wish there would be a hundred people running for president um but uh it's it's when i look at his policies there's a lot of things i i I like how the guy you know sort of stands for that anti-censorship you know the the freedom of speech to be able to say the things that you want to say i i recently kind of started diving into some of his economic policies whatever you go man it's a bit of a departure there Best of luck to you, but that's that's not um, that's certainly not going to get my support. Um, but yeah, you know, I it, I will give you some good, good news. It's, it's good to see the competition. Yeah, that's for sure. And I will give you some good news on that front. I, I can't name any names on camera. When we get done recording, I'll let you know who it is. But some good friends of mine in the the, the macro space that are are very very knowledgeable to say the least on the the global monetary system and, and really really get it. Uh, RFK has actually reached out to them uh, and had meetings with them to get him up to speed on kind of how the monetary system works because he knows he's deficient in that area. Mm. Well, uh, so is the central bank. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I have to like some of these meetings, you know, the, the Fed gets together and I have to like, God, some of these days I would just love to just be a fly on the wall and that meeting, because in my head, I mean, you know, I was making that joke at your event where I go, this is the George Costanza Fed, you know, just a bunch of guys who have absolutely no idea what they're doing. I'm Art Vandelay. I'm an architect, you know, but they have absolutely no clue and just make it up as they go along and have, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, just sheer comedy, really, the stuff that they have. They went from 
that when you think about the the, the evolution of monetary policy over the last, I mean, realistically, 18 months, it went from there's no inflation to, oh my God, we have to do whatever it takes yeah, the house to get rid of inflation. This, this house is on fire. Everything's on fire. We got to do whatever it takes. And for me, whenever I hear any key policy official, politician, whatever, they use that phrase, whatever it takes, mm. that to me means that you are uh, completely incompetent, that you have not done a rational cost-benefit analysis where you looked rationally at your course of action and said, okay, here's the plan, here's the upside, here's the downside, here are the risks. They haven't done any of that. And they start going, whatever it takes. And you know, let's be honest, they did this with COVID. They said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And so when they say whatever it takes, They've never said, well, here's what might happen if we don't do things. Here's what happens if we follow this course of action. Are there consequences? It's going to affect, you know, the little kids. It's going to affect development. It's going to affect education. It's going to affect, you know, I mean, the, the, the national economy, the national debt, all these things. Is it worth it? When they don't actually do that analysis, see, is it worth it? And whatever it takes, that's the costliest solution of all is whatever it takes. Those are, those, those are really the costliest words in the English language. Yeah. It reminds me of, Thomas Sowell, who's one of my favorites, that always says there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. Right. But they, yeah. they, but what's interesting is, is they, the intellectual types, they seem to get so hyper-focused on a quote-unquote solution that they completely ignore any unintended consequences. You know, I think, you know, let me read a quote to you here. It's just right on the top of my mind. I can't remember it. I want to get it right. I apologize for being rude, but I'd love to get your thoughts on this because it it speaks to exactly what we're saying here. And this, again, is from Thomas Sowell. I'm reading it right off my phone. It says, there is usually only a limited amount of damage that can be done by dull or stupid people. For creating a truly monumental disaster, you need people with high IQs. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of a, of a Ronald Reagan quote. Um, he was obviously talking about the other party and he said it was something along the lines of, um, uh, it's, 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 the, the phrase of the quote was something like, it's, it's not that our, it's not that our friends, you know, in the other party are ignorant. It's that they know so much that just isn't so. Mm, yeah. And, you know, in the same way, like the, the, these aren't stupid people. These are actually very, very, very intelligent people. And I, you know, I mean, it's the thing you take, you take people of, uh, of, of, of you know, Fairly high intelligence. I actually think it's, it's, a, it's a, there's a level of intelligence where um, you think you're much much smarter than you actually are. Yeah, right. And, well, that's the Denny Kruger effect, right? Sure. And then you add to that this extraordinary, almost megalomania level ambition that I and I alone should be able to solve all the problems in the world. And I mean, this is what this is what Robert Malone. Uh, told us, I mean, he's just the guy who knows Fauci really well. If you don't know Robert Malone, he was one of the guys that got canceled. I know you know Robert Malone, yeah. uh, but uh, people listening don't know Robert Malone. He was one of the guys who got canceled during COVID for saying things that we now, all of us know, are 100% true. You know, he was uh, obviously one of the people that was very influential in developing mRNA technology and went out and said, hey, you could still get COVID if you're vaccinated. Canceled. Canceled. And of course, now everybody knows that's true. Nobody ever issued an apology or anything like that. But this guy's known Fauci for decades. Yeah, and I had you know I remember the first time I met him, we ended up having lunch for a couple of hours, and just talked and talked. And I said, "Tell me about Fauci. What is what is this guy like?" And he goes, "You know, he's he's you know, it's funny. He's 
he's a symptom of the problem. Fauci's not actually the problem. He's a symptom of the problem. Mm. The fact that somebody like Fauci is able to rise to the power that he did is the problem itself, not right. just Fauci. Because the system is filled with people like him. If it weren't Fauci, it would be somebody else. It's like a mafia organization. You know, and people think, we've got to cut the head off the snake. Well, no, that's not true because you take out the Don, then somebody else is going to take his place. Right. There's no there's no criminal organization that's gonna collapse because they lose one guy. There's always somebody else is willing to step in. Some ruthless cutthroat of a person is gonna step in. There's always gonna be some other person of high IQ uh, who's perceived who's who self perceives his or her IQ to be much, much higher than it is, and who feels that I and I alone can solve all the problems. And that was Fauci. And I think everybody sort of saw that firsthand. Boy, this guy just enjoy glad handing with Stephen Colbert and uh, I don't know, whatever, all these other late guy guides, so Jimmy Carroll yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One, so, but, I mean, that's, well, I was going to say one interesting story about Robert Malone that's, uh, people, you know, he always talks about his area of expertise, which, which we all know what that is. Um, but I, I only met him briefly at your conference in Mexico city last year. And I'll remember this forever. It, because I always saw him just as kind of like a doctor, but that's just really what his focus is, and that's what he's interested in. And I remember I was speaking at your event, and I got done uh, maybe 10 minutes earlier or something, so I opened it up to questions. And I think he was the very first person to raise his hand and ask a question. And I thought, oh, this is this is really cool. This is going to be a lot of fun. And he actually uh, he's, asked he's super switched on yeah. a very, very high-level intelligent question on cbdc's and i I was not yeah i understand he's a very intelligent guy but i was not expecting him to have that level of understanding with something involving the monetary system and he sure did i was very impressed yeah yeah we've had a lot of conversations uh he's he's a super super switched on guy um he's he's not a uh he's he's not a sort of unidimensional yeah uh great great guy in general super humble just, just a just a wonderful person. His wife is as well. I mean, they're really, really great people. Yeah, that's for sure. Have you been following what's been going on with WorldCoin? Because it kind of dovetails on on what we're saying as far as trying to solve the world's problems and ignoring unintended consequences. I thought you might want to talk about that. Yeah. So I'll I'll give you my thoughts, and then we'll just see where the conversation takes us here. Because I'm sure we I'm sure we've got some. Uh, uh, opinions let's say so this I, I didn't even really know what this was until it launched the other day and i'm like okay world coin maybe another cryptocurrency whatever and then i go to their website and kind of read their little white paper or whatever whatever it was and i see okay this is a cryptocurrency that where they're combining uh your you know scanning your your biometric data to give you some sort of world digital id and then they're combining that with AI and then UBI. And I sent out a tweet. I'm like, you couldn't make this any worse. <laughs> like there's nothing that you could do to make me like this concept any less. <laughs> and then I went through and, and read the paper. And, you know, I've actually watched a couple interviews with the guy, Sam Altman. And he really, really wasn't into it other than an investor. I think he's more, it's kind of like a mentor position. But the other guy, and, and they, look, I think these guys probably have very good intentions, but it's just when they sit there and talk about this orb, and I'm sure you you read about that, you've seen it in their promo video. These people, you know, looking into this dystopian 
silver ball, you know, get, you know, giving their retinal scan or whatever, and all, all their, um, their, uh, their information that now you can be tracked online. And, you know, they say that they get rid of the information, but who knows if they do, I mean, you're putting a lot of, of trust in that entity and people are just willingly doing it. And why? Because they're getting like $25 worth of this cryptocurrency that they think can turn into like an indefinite stream of UBI. And I mean, there's so many things that I, I don't like about that, but I'll stop there and, and get your thoughts. No, you're right. I mean, they've, they've taken nearly every bad concept. Yeah, I was, when I saw it, I said, the only thing they got to add to this is like a mandatory quarantine. You know? Just, you got to, you, you get your world coin and you got to wear a face mask or something with it. You know, it's like, it is literally every bad idea combined. I thought it was a joke at first. I started to look at the calendar. I'm like, is it April Fool's? Is that like, I, I just uh, like, so I'm, I'm with you, but at the same time, I also look at it and I go, it is, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of Newton's famous quote in, 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 in an, in an anti-hero sense. And that, you know, if they have seen further, it's because they've, they've stood on the shoulders of giants and, and they're, so they're not, they're not doing anything new here, right? They're taking all these things that already exist. And when I, when I look at it, I, it's the thing I can't help myself, but, but have this view, you know, and I think there's, there's certainly a lot of people that are rightfully looking at something like world country, like, oh my God, this is insane. But I also look at it and go, okay, but you know, you, you, you've already given Zuckerberg all of your data. Yeah. You've given like all the things that, right, exactly. Like if that, that should be the eye opener and, um, it's, it's really hard to exist in the world without, you know, and not be completely and fully, uh, to, to not be tracked at all. That's really hard. If you want to do that, you can't have a phone. You can't really be online. You know, all these sorts of things. Like, I mean, you know, now they have this at so many, so many airports, you know, when you, you don't even swipe your boarding pass anymore to get on a plane, you know, you just go and there's some facial recognition and you kind of look and go, well, where the hell did Delta Airlines get, you know, by, by face and all that stuff. Like I, I never consented to that. And somehow they have all this, all this data and they just could scan that stuff. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's really hard to exist in that world. You can have a little mountain cabin somewhere in the woods, you know, and, and, and sort of channel your inner Henry David Thoreau and all that sort of stuff. But if you want to exist in the world, there's certainly elements of privacy you have to give up, but you don't have to give it up, you know, all of it. And, you know, I, I, myself, I go like, I'm 44 years old. Like, what do I need to be on Instagram for? Like, I don't, I don't need to give Mark Zuckerberg, you know, any, any bit of information about me. I don't need, you know, so these sorts of reasons, like I don't use, I don't use, actually, I don't use Google search. I don't use Google mail. I don't use Facebook. I don't use, you know, and those sorts of things. Um, I, I take very great care in terms of the apps that I use. I was checking this hotel actually last night, for example, and a guy said, uh, oh yeah, we have, um, we have an electronic uh, key system. You just have to download this app. I just cut him off and go, dude, I'm not downloading any it's not going to happen you know like i'm not installing your software onto my phone you know just these sorts of things and i think that it's actually relatively easy to uh to do those sorts of things it's it's, it's really not that hard like um you know, in terms of the choices that we make there are you know instead of using something like whatsapp there's plenty of you know better uh uh, you know, uh, applications that you can actually, you know, message and, and communicate with people that don't rely on a guy like Mark Zuckerberg. Um, this is what amazes me. I actually wrote this whole thing about when he launched Threads. 
And I'm like, this, like, this is, I said, this is like asking Jeffrey Epstein to come over and like, watch your kids. <laughs> and I like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Like, this is just another platform for this guy to go and steal your data. If Mark Zuckerberg were tracking, he does this with everybody, including kids. And if Mark Zuckerberg in real life were stalking children with the same fanaticism, the same level of aggression that he does it online, right. people would take a, People would take a fucking shovel to his head. Yeah. This guy, you know, you do, you know, he, 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 this guy was in some small town in Oklahoma, stalking children, watching where they go, and all that kind of stuff. Somebody would take a fucking shovel to his head. And yet he does it online all the time. And, you know, and so, so, anyways, just to get back to WorldCoin, it's like, I look at that and I go, it's not that much different than, you know, all these other things. It's like this, you know, so many transactions that are obviously um, already tracked. And all the data that's already out there and things like that. So I look at that and I go, if you're outraged by WorldCoin, which I think most people should be, uh, that's probably a good wake up call to take a step back and go, okay, maybe I could take some basic steps to sort of improve my privacy, at least in my digital life. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Maybe looking at the glass half full, you could look at WorldCoin and say, okay, now they have gone to the point where it's tangible. Like if you're online and and you're doing, you know, you're just looking at your webcam or something like that, you, you kind of know what's going on, but it doesn't seem that real. But when you have to go down and look into a silver orb and have that red light beam on your right. iris, that's when it becomes real. Like that, that's right. when you get it. And I go back to 2020 and 2021. It's actually the reason I started this channel is really to push back against the the mandates that you and I were talking about uh, back then. And if you recall, when they first came out with these mandates, most of the people, the normies, were like, oh, you know, okay, fine, whatever. I'll go ahead and and get the jab because I care about my job. I got to pay for my, my kids' schooling. I got to put food on the table, roof over the head. And you know, a lot of people were pushing back, but most people were just like, fine, I'll get it. You know, why is it any different than the other shot I have to get? But the line in the sand came when they said, okay, well, now that you've done it, now we're going to make it mandatory for your kids to get it. All right. And if you notice, that's when even the normies and the average Joe said, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. No, we're not going there. And right. that's when you really started to see people push back on both sides of the aisle. So hopefully this is one of those moments where before it's just like, yeah, you know, whatever. But now that people can see it, right in front of them, they go down to the local mall and they see this line of kids, you know, uh, lined up just waiting to get their eyeball scanned. So their biometric data goes to this massive corporation that is promising them, uh, you know, some sort of eternal UBI. And it, and it goes back to the, 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 or the, uh, the, the phrase of the statement, you know, that's very true. If, if the product is free, then you're the product. Uh, you know, question, it's funny, what I, if the product paid? So that's bad enough. But what if the product is not only free, but it has to pay you in order to use it? Then you really know something nefarious is going on. Yeah, you know that uh, that company Clear uh, at the airport. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that you know, it's like they, you know, it's like they, it's, they charge like it's some some very nominal fee or something like that. I don't remember what it is. It's fifty bucks, hundred bucks, something like that. Whatever you pay per year. You know, it's 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 nothing. And, and I remember, like, I, I I think I was actually in Mexico City at our, at our at that event there, and I was talking about that, and I said, like, it's have you ever seen this at an airport? I mean, they got like they got like four or five guys at like 
dozens, hundreds of airports. I mean, this is the really expensive operation. You get like, think about it, do the math. You cannot possibly turn a profit charging people a hundred bucks a year to do that. Right. And so what do they do? They're taking your retina, they're taking your fingerprints, they're taking all that sort of stuff. It's like, what do you think? How do you think they're actually making money? They're not making money on the, right. on the hundred dollars. They're making money because they have all of your data. Now you've given them all of your biometric data. And so that's the sort of thing is that I think with, with this, uh, you know, world coin and the orb and all this, they've, they've just, the thing that I, I, I like it because I go, finally, they just came out and said it already. Yeah. Now they're saying they, the quiet part out loud. Right. Exactly. And say the quiet part out loud, like all the things that they've been doing sort of behind the scenes that Facebook's been doing that whatever clear has been doing that Google's been doing all these guys have been doing for so long. Uh, you know, the financial institutions, everybody now, they just, they just went out and said it. They got, oh, here's what we want to do. And oh yeah, we can give you $25, whatever. Goes. Oh my God. This, if, if that's not reason enough to go, whoa, like that should be the smack in the face for people to go, okay, I got to do something about this. I got to really start taking steps. And the nice thing is, is that there's plenty of stuff actually that you can do. You're never going to, unless you move to the cabin in the woods and all that stuff, you're never going to be 100% disconnected from all of that. But you could take a lot of steps to dramatically reduce your, you know, sort of personal exposure to that whole system. And I'm honestly, I'm really with my kids. Um, I mean, I'm very militant about it uh, with my kids. Like I don't, I don't mess around. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't let other people take pictures of my kids. I don't know where that photo is going to go. I don't know. You know, if you're using an Android device, the first thing that happens is that gets, you know, uploaded. Google's algorithm is going to go and start scanning that, you know, and, and, you know, facial recognition, all that. So, I mean, all these sorts of things on, there are, there are things you can do uh, to, to take a lot of that power back. And for me, I'm always a glasses half full guy because there, there are always, I think as individuals, we actually, we have far more power than, you know, the people that sort of control that system want us we to definitely do that we have. We absolutely do. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. The solution to this, to tyranny, authoritarianism, central planning, is, is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple in the fact that you just have to have a small vocal minority come together and just say no. And if you look at history, it, you see this over and over and over and over. I mean, I know you're a, a fantastic student of history, but that's always the way that we uh, that we have change in the world and change for the better. You know, 
Well, this example I always use is Romania in 1989, I think it was, or 1990, with and where you just had, I don't know what the population of Romania was back then, but you had a a minority of the population just literally stand up and say no. Uh, The guy had all the guns. The guy had all the power. He controlled the military. He controlled the police. He controlled absolutely everything. Dictator, been in power, I don't know how long, call it, you know, two decades. And people just put their foot down. They said no. And then nine days later, they, they take him out back and they, they shoot him. And, uh, you know, I'm not condoning violence or anything, but, th- but that's just an illustration. And in our modern day, I think you have the exact same thing with the truckers in Canada, which I think they, Trudeau would be done, in my opinion. If, if Putin would not have gone into Ukraine, I think Trudeau was on his way out. Because what happened is this trucker movement was growing uh, globally. There was a trucker movement in the United States, in Europe, I think in uh, in uh, Australia, all over the place. And then all of a sudden, Putin invades Ukraine, and boom, the whole media attention goes on over to something else, and then the trucker movement kind of fizzles out. But that's another example, just people standing up, saying no, and having a massive impact. You're right, George. It works both ways, though. Um, it, it also works change for the good, but also change for the worse. And and a lot of really bad movements start off as a small movement. I you know, and I hate it's almost cliche, but the obvious one, obviously, is the, is the Nazi Party. Mm. You know, they were a, they were a nothing. They were a nothing when they actually came. And and uh, you know, one one of the one of the for me one of the best books in, in the world is the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm. It's so. It's 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 just it's so instructive to see it's so detailed to go and you can actually see exactly how these guys rose to power and it was just a tiny 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 movement they rose to power through a democratic process yeah right um, yeah but it but it, one interesting thing correct me if I'm wrong is he didn't win a, a 50 percent vote because there were like four or five right. candidates so he only he won with like a 35 percent vote or something like that that's right he didn't he didn't even need a majority it was just enough. Right, but it started off as a very, very small movement, and that's the thing. Like with the, the these these crazy fanatical progressives in the U.S., it it feels a lot of times, you know, that the but the, the Nazis were like that in in a way that they were they were this very very small numerical minority, but they were the loudest by far, and they you know they had the brown shirts going around beating people up, and they were you know with their protests and they were screaming, and and you know Hitler's making a lot of noise, and it's, I, I'm, I'm not saying that the progressives are Nazis. I don't call anybody a Nazi because, again, it's not only is it cliche, it's um, it's just lazy. It's intellectually lazy to just go and do that. Nazi. Nazi, it's intellectually lazy, and I have enough, I have enough dignity that I'm just not going to do that. Uh, but the idea in that the progressives today are extremely loud, they're so loud, and you think because they are so loud, and they've also co-opted a lot of major institutions, the media and, and a lot of people in government, education, et cetera. And so it seems like they're bigger than they are, but they're mm-hmm. not, right? Yeah. They're not. If they were actually, you know, this huge, you know, super majority, then Cleopatra would have been the most streamed movie on Netflix. And Bud Light would be the best selling beer in the world, <laughs> you know, and 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 all these things. But it's just not true. Right? It's not true. And because when all of a sudden people start making individual decisions, go, you know what? I'm just not going to support that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep giving my money to, you know, all these sorts of things. And 
you know, it can get irritating sometimes. But I remember, you know, when Major League Baseball came out against the, you know, the Georgia voting bill, I started making these assertions about the Georgia voting bill that were actually not even in the bill. And it, it was to me, I go, this guy, what's his name? Rob Man- Manfred, I think the commissioner of baseball. This guy hasn't even read it. It's so obvious he hasn't even read it. And I'm thinking, well, I guess I'm never going to watch another baseball game. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I go, like, I cannot in good conscience continue to give my my money, my time, my attention to things that I know are, you know, just just don't have a freaking opinion on it. You know, like, do you know, or have an opinion on it, but, but, but keep it to yourself. Like, you're Major League Baseball. You shouldn't be going out and doing this. You're, you know, whatever. You're an airline. You're Coca-Cola, whatever. You shouldn't be doing these sorts of things. And I think... It's obvious that when people actually do take a stand with their their money, with their you know the way they think about things, go well. I'm not going to buy this product anymore. That sends a much much clearer message than some idiot on Twitter, who you know who is the guy who's going around calling everybody a Nazi. Whatever you disagree with his ultra fanatical, super woke, progressive position, you're a Nazi. And of course, these people don't know anything. I mean, talk about like having a Talk about having a much higher sense of what your IQ is than it really is. Like these people think they're really smart. They're not really smart. Um, and you know, they're they they go on, they they lean on that crutch and just go around and call it right Nazi and they whine and scream like they're little children. But sensible, rational, independent minded people are the ones who actually do have the power because then we can go, Well, I'm not gonna buy Bud Light anymore. That's 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 crazy. Those guys went off the deep end, I'm not gonna support that. And we start to see very quickly. A lot of companies started okay, ooh, and they started backing off. Of they, they started firing their, you know, twenty-two-year-old, you know, woke marketing executives and all these sorts of things. I mean, and even even like even BlackRock in a way has actually kind of started backing off a little bit of the, you know, some of the ESG things they're doing. Yeah, some of the so some of the ESG thing. I mean, they're it's it's like the universities. You know, they got smacked down by the Supreme Court. They're going to still try and figure out some way to work in. You know their their uh, you know racial and, and and ethnicity quotas and things like that. But uh, you know that it it is it is you know some of these things are you know moving in the right direction. And I think it's because the majority of people that are sensible, wherever they fall in the political spectrum, you know left, right, up, down, whatever. The reality is, I think most people, not only in the United States but across the world, are you know they're pretty moderate people. You know, and they're they're fine. They're they're, they're perfectly fine engaging in rational conversation. It's just that sort of fringe group that's making all the noise that feels, uh, you know, that it, it they make so much noise, it's kind of terrifying. Um, and it creates the seeds for the growth of, of much larger movements. And again, the Nazi Party is an example. There are many, many, many more of those, obviously, throughout history. But Nazi Party is one that people are very familiar with. But yeah, like good things can happen from, you know, small startup movements. Bad things can also happen from small yeah. startup but I think uh, you touched on a point there that we we're also talking about with, uh, you know, them going too far with, uh, we'll call it the, you know, mandates and whatnot. And then maybe now they're going too far because they actually have hardware makes you, you know, scan your retina. That will be kind of the line in the sand. But, yeah. you know, I'll, to, I'll come to, up and see one of these days we can go stand in line together to, to, to stare into the Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could do a vlog where we get our, our retinal scan and our biometric right. data over to WorldCoin and get our twenty five bucks. But I think they've gone, to, they've crossed that line in the whole trans thing too, because and because I think one of our biggest assets is their hubris. That's one of our our greatest tools, our greatest weapons, if you will. So you know the whole colleges and a lot of the to your point, you know the NFL or or whatever uh, sports. 
uh, league was out there. They were really pandering to this whole woke narrative. But now all of a sudden they, they push it so far, you know, in women's sports where they're allowing guys to just go in there and clean house. And even the people on the left are like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, 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 no. This is, this is not what we want. This is, this is ridiculous because they've had that hubris to take it just too far to where now they're getting backlash that could collapse the whole idea, you know, because if, if a, a sports organization is going to take a stand on trans, say, okay, no guys competing against women, that's where we draw the line. That kind of frees them up to make other rational decisions in the future that they might not have otherwise made. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny, like, when I step back and look at it, I, I actually think about it in, through the lens of, like, Sun Tzu and, and this this art of warfare between the ultra-woke fanatical progressives and, you know, the sense of, you know, when you're weak, convey that you're strong. And so they have this, like, tiny minority, but they went and made so much noise. In classic sort of Sun Tzu, they managed to convince everybody that they were much, much larger movement than they really were. Mm. And and so this is why the corporations sort of bent to their will. Corporations have no soul. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they, they never really cared about anything. They'll do whatever is in their, you know, what they feel like is, is going to be in the interest stock price, whatever's going to sort of win uh, approval from, you know, from the market and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, that's what they're going to do. And so when they get the sense where they go like, oh, my God, like this is this huge movement and we got to get on board with this thing or we're going to get left behind. Now, all of a sudden, the progressives start getting this, these victories, right? Because they're able to, it's a, you know, they're able, they're able to feign a level of strength that they don't really have. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it's like they're, they're coming on, you know, you know, like town after town after town, sort of ancient warfare before they even get there, the towns are surrendering, right? Because they think that the, the, the approaching army is this massive, you know, millions yeah. of people that's going to wipe them out. It turns out it's like 30 guys. Yeah. It's 30 guys making a lot of noise, right? Galloping on horseback as loud as they can. 30 guys make a lot of noise. But the town, you know, town goes, we surrender, we surrender. Then all of a sudden, you know, these you know, these 30 guys, they feel like, hey, we can do anything. Everybody's terrified of us. We can do whatever we want. And they get they get that hubris where they feel like we can we can do whatever we want. We can go, we can change the dictionary. We can demand that people, you know, use this word or that word. We can start, you know, in a certain point when you get that level of hubris, you cross a line. And then all of a sudden people go, whoa, 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 whoa. And all of a sudden now the town comes out to meet you. And they get their force together. You know what? No, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to come out and meet you in this battle. They go, wait a minute. You're 30 guys. We're going to massacre you. And that's through sort of my, the, my you know, my sort of ex-military lens of, of warfare, my his, historical view of like ancient warfare. That's the way I look at it is, is it's like the, the ancient, you know, city has kind of realized, and that was Bud Light. And I was all of a sudden realized like, wait a minute, you guys are nothing. You're tiny. The rest, look at the rest of us. We're like even all stripes of political ideologies, whatever. It's like we completely outnumber you by like a thousand to one. Yeah, you have you have no chance of winning, and that you're you're absolutely right. It was that hubris that has actually now started to unwind that and started to do them in, because they got so far out of control they couldn't just they you know they couldn't just say hey, you know we've gotten everybody to the point where you know everybody's sort of fine just accepting everybody for whoever they are blah 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 but like they had to just keep on you know jamming that even farther and say no 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 it's not enough to just accept people we've got to celebrate we've got to have you know all these sorts of things we've got to say they're courageous we got to say 
you know, all these sorts of things. We got to jam it down the children's throats. We got to yeah. put them in the in the you know in the kids' sports, whatever. And they talk in bathing suits or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, they went too far, and now they've gone too far. And the townspeople have come outside and said, "You have thirty people. Your horses are malnourished. You know, you've been you've been galloping, you know, from all, all the way from China. You know, now you're now you're in Vienna. You know, it's done. You're finished." And that's, I think, what we're seeing now, uh, because again, this is the thing throughout history is that bad ideas almost always fail when given enough time. Communism ended, the feudal system ended. I mean, all these things, these horrible ideas that people came up with throughout history, slavery, all these things, like at a certain point, like sometimes they last for a long time, but eventually really bad, terrible ideas, they just come to an end. And you know, this ultra woke fanatical stuff, it's a terrible idea and it too is going to come to an end. And it's, I, I always, I sort of say this to my own audience and said, like, it can feel scary and you can kind of feel isolated or whatever, but you just got to, you know, you got to remember it in that way. Like there's way more rational, sensible people than there are fanatics. And that's, Easy. that's not even, that's not even glasses half full. The glass is full. Dude. The glass is full. And these people are on the way out. How do you use that Sun Tzu kind of military background that you have to view CBDCs. Like, do you think that you know, like obviously that's a bad idea? But I, I think there's what's interesting about a CBDC is if you understand the back end plumbing, you realize that people could be using a CBDC and not even know it. Like they would have absolutely no idea. And so that's well, kind of where I I I wonder how how do we push back against that if people don't even know. That they're doing, they're using it. Who on earth do they even push back against? If you have like this unified ledger that the BIS is talking about, I don't know if you read that story. Oh yeah, look, I I own a bank. I mean, you know that. So yeah. I I I have a I know a lot. I mean, I know so much about uh, the, just the the inner plumbing of the banking system and and all the weird, really weird stuff that goes down. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the one. One thing that's just like hilarious, and when I think about CDBCs, it's hilarious to me because if, if, if most people knew how ass backward technology was in the financial system, mm -hmm. it was, it's just it's just comical. And I remember when we first got our Swift code, uh, and Swift reached out to us and said, "Okay, now um, you need to go in order to like onboard you in terms of our, our technology platform. You need to go find a computer with Windows 7. <laughs> I were like. Aren't they <laughs> past that now? And then you start. I start looking at this. I'm like, wait a minute. Like Windows Seven isn't even supported by Microsoft. They've abandoned support for Windows Seven. This is like an obsolete, highly vulnerable, super insecure operating system that underpins the platform by which virtually all international financial transactions go through. Communicate, yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's like this is this is it's it's it's, it's comical. You know. I mean, it's just like most. Most ATM machines in the United States are on, you know, an old school. I mean, there's a lot of ATMs that are even still on Windows 98. Uh, I mean, in, in, in terms of the, the software they use, it's such a joke. Uh, a lot of, um, and, and the problem for a lot of banks is that once you get, once you get transactions in the system, they have the banks will operate on things called core banking systems. All core banking systems is just like a giant sort of accounting ledger. And there's a lot of like large companies that, that put out core banking systems and they have for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And some of these things are like were written in the sixties and seventies and these obsolete programming like COBOL, Fortran and stuff like that. Most people have never heard of. And so when you, 
when you have that, and all of a sudden you get all of your data inside of this antiquated system, and then decades go by and you just put more and more and more data, it's a monumental, like Normandy invasion level task to get that data out and move it into another system. It's so hard because the whole time you're trying to migrate data from one system to another. It's like finally you got some new updated, you know, modern programming language, modern in the cloud kind of system. Right. You got to move all the stuff out. But while you're moving the transactions out, all the data and everything that you got out, you've got more transactions in real time coming in. So you can never actually keep up. Like you can't, it's it's so hard to actually move that stuff over. So to actually do it, you'd have to shut down, you know, bank operations for days and days and days at a minimum to actually be able to move that stuff over. It's so hard. So instead, what do they do is they just keep sort of duct taping new modules and, you know, new things onto this like old ancient, you know, core banking platform. Um, and and it's, and these are things. So when I look at CDBs, I, you know, I mean, even like the, the, the Fed as well, like there's other central banks that have a lot more uh, slightly better technological prowess. Uh, I think, for example, in Singapore, the NAS is is, is a lot more with it in, in, in terms of that. Um, HKMA is, is is a bit better um, off. The Fed has no idea what they're doing with respect to technology. I mean, it's a, it's a joke. And they've just now uh, been able to launch sort of a, a little bit of a pilot of Fed now. Fed now. Yeah. yeah. And so, but that's the thing. It's like, I, I look at CDBCs in the same way that I look at WorldCoin. And I go, I'm glad that there are a lot of people that are getting up in arms about CDBC. Uh, but the, the capabilities, the tracking, all that sort of stuff within CDBCs, it's not really, you know, when you think about like what a lot of the dangers of CDBCs, it is the tracking, it's the total lack of any financial privacy. It's their ability to just go and go, boop, I'm going to turn off this coin and there goes your, you know, there goes your money. Uh, you know, we can prevent you from doing this transaction or that transaction. You know, they can put, basically they can apply smart contracts yeah. to your money without your consent and you know, all these sorts of things. And I go, I'm glad people are getting up in arms about that, but it's just like WorldCoin. All that stuff already exists, right? They're tracking you now, right? All, you know, all bank tranches. I mean, all these things that banks have to do. I, George, I guarantee you, like your bank has been, been filing suspicious activity reports on you for a long time. There's a whole database within the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, uh, uh, FinCEN, that's a federal agency, one of the one of the kind of watchdogs and regulators. Like, I don't know, FinCEN's got, FinCEN's got, Vincent's got the goods on you, on me, on on most people listening to this, and and honestly, for like basic stuff. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I, I remember having this hell of a time um, sending money to my sister. You know, I mean, I was like, I trying to help my sister uh, uh, with a down payment on a house, and sending my sister money. You know, and it's like I sent the bank to contract, whatever. They froze the transaction and all these things. I mean, it's just, it's a joke. And as soon as every time I get something like that, I go, well, there goes another suspicious activity. To the federal government and so these sorts of things happen they can they can lock you out of your bank account at any time any federal agency most state agencies have the ability to levy your bank account you know they're tracking you they can prevent you from you know making transactions all those sorts of things so the where cdbcs take that to what they do is they refine that they make it a little bit easier and they take it to a higher level so now there's a single bureaucrat who can do all of those things instead of sort of like multiple agencies who have some power to do this and some power to do that. Now it's, it's you know, your bank can do all of that. Your bank can freeze your account. They can stop you from making transaction. They can, you know, they're, they're monitoring all of your transactions. They can file suspicious activity reports. They can, you know, they, they banks will, if you, you know, if, if uh, for example, some, some federal authority, state authority, whatever, they got a question about you, 
there could be all these these people talking about you behind your back, sharing information about George Gammon and all the transactions that he's done or sending these guys information about you that you will never know. It's against the law for a bank to tell you that, hey, uh, we got a... And I mean, like Google puts these like government you know, tracker requests and stuff like that. And they've got um, sub-level transparency reports about that. Banks don't do that because it's against the law for banks to tell their customers like, hey, just so you know, the, the, the agency of such and so has been asking about you and I just a bunch of information. It's against the law for banks to do that. Wow. Right. How, how so granular all that, all that stuff already exists. How granular is the data they get? Well, so down, as an example. Down, down to the penny of whatever, you know, every bit of documentation that you've ever sent. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm saying, as, as an example, if I go to Chipotle, my, Wells Fargo knows I spent 20 bucks at Chipotle. But do they know what I ordered? Uh, they will not necessarily know. Well, they might. They might. It depends on the transaction system. So the... The, the credit card companies will, depends on how you pay, right? I mean, obviously okay. paying cash is not going to happen. Uh, if you use a debit card and it's like a Visa debit card, they might very well know what you, because all that stuff is going to be linked uh, to Chipotle. They might not know immediately, but it'd actually be relatively easy for them to to be able to find that because with wow. the Chipotle system, that's all there. You know, you got whatever, three bean burritos and a, and a Diet Coke, you know. Yeah, be able the Chipotle to system, I knew that. That, that was my thing. I, I, I thought that, if they didn't have that data, if just the only data they have is what I see on my bank statement, well, then there would have to be some sort of switch at the the point of sale in order for the right. central planners to get the data to do the social the uh, social score to to uh, you know to spit that out to the end. So if you go to like some you know street side uh, book fair or whatever, and you and you buy a a copy of one of Robert Kiyosaki's books or something like that, you know, and he's got a little square swipe thing and you just you yeah, know, touch yeah. a car or whatever like that's probably not like a guy like that's not going to have like an, an erp inventory system uh that's that's going to keep all that you know inside the system but like yeah like i mean when you go you know for example like even like with like medical stuff you go to like a you know, quest labs or, or you know one of these sorts of things like it's all of that in the system and gamma goes in uh to you know i mean whatever you, you go in and get like some kind of like blood test for something like that, like that's tied to a specific credit card transaction that's got a you know unique uh, you know transaction number on it that's tied to transaction number inside of their ERP system, all this sort of stuff. So it does it can get very very granular. What CDBCs do is they take that to a higher level, yeah. uh, and 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 you know it, but it, it it's all that stuff that's already there. So I look at the CDBC movement again, and I go like, good, it just takes what they already have. And takes you to a higher level. So hopefully that'll be, again, it's a little bit more of the quiet part out loud. And yes. maybe people finally go like, holy shit, this is insane. And I go, yes, it is insane, but it's already also all that stuff exists. And so that's one of the things about why it does make sense. You know, and, and it's like, we get reminders of this every day. You, we were talking about the Canadian trucker movement earlier. It's, it's, it is beyond me how somebody could look at that trucker movement and go, oh yeah, I don't need a foreign bank account. I, I don't, or I don't need you know, another. I'll, I'll keep 100% of my money inside of the financial system. Like, no, take some of your money out of the financial system. You should have cash, you should have gold, you have all sorts of other things because one of these days, Justin Trudeau's going to decide that, you know, we don't want to tolerate you anymore as a citizen. And that's it. Yeah. George, I'm so sorry. I just, I just realized, I looked at the time. I've got I'm three minutes late for another appointment. So okay. I've actually got to run. Yeah. 
Uh, I really appreciate it, man. It's been, been great catching up as always. Thanks a lot, buddy. I can't wait hey. to do it again. I've got a ton more questions, but uh, I'm sure the viewers are going to have this conversation. What's great Absolutely. is we got some good news here, some things to really be excited about.